everyone, welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. This episode I have something special, or terrifying depending on your perspective, planned. The final section will come with a warning that some listeners may want to turn it off. Don't be too worried, but it's something a little unusual. If, like me, you're too curious for your own good, we could all be doomed together. But the overall theme is machinery and computers today. There are some more whimsical things afoot, like my personal favourite, the Gremlins, of whom bothered British pilots in both world wars. So let's go explore some ghosts in the machines. Or, alternatively, Gremlins jumping up and down on the machine in some cases. Mischief and Mayhem Let's start on a high note. Gremlins! Most people know Gremlins from the movie franchise of the same name, which actually has a basis in Asian folklore that I may circle back around to in a different episode. For right now though, I want to focus on the wartime origins of the kind of gremlin that turns up on a plane wing. Traditional gremlins are a type of furry folk that, well, rather than being repelled by iron and technology, they instead seek to infest it to cause chaos. It was Britain's Royal Air Force that really spread this story and became determined not to let the little buggers destroy their planes. There's an utterly brilliant quote from the Spectator magazine after World War I to show how the British airmen view their number one suspects for inexplicable airplane malfunctions. The old Royal Naval Air Service in 1917 and the newly constituted Royal Air Force in 1918 have detected the existence of a horde of mysterious and malicious spirits whose purpose in life was to bring about as many possible of the inexplicable mishaps which, in those days as now, trouble an airman's life. Traditional little folk tales mix pretty pleasantly for a time with technology, fun stories of them as tinkerers and assistants, but something about aircraft offended them, or, even worse, as we've discussed with the she before, Something delighted the little folk about airplanes and they couldn't help but get involved. Descriptions of gremlins vary quite wildly. They're supposed to only be about a foot tall, either green or blue. They can be naked, or maybe they've made their own little flight suits. Their feet are supposed to be big and can work like suction cups so they can get everywhere while also not being possible to shake loose off the aircraft. Despite having a variety of descriptions, no RAF pilot seems to have claimed to have directly seen a gremlin. They're very deeply rooted in traditional little folk tales. There's a certain knowing of the Ayoshi taken for granted by believers of the old stories. That they are there and you're in for a world of trouble if you directly cross paths with them without needing to encounter them face to face. Tools would be moved or break without any reasonable explanation. The planes themselves would behave irrationally and have pilots yelling about the gremlins getting into them to explain why random disaster happens, despite everyone's best efforts. In World War II, safety posters featured gremlins up to no good as reminders to be safe around the um, airplanes and in the factories, and the idea of small mischief makers rampaging may have even helped boost morale. While a poem from 1929 clearly called out gremlins as a flyer's nemesis, Having small culprits to cuss out and blame for malfunctions is, in its own way, more comforting than random chance taking a plane out despite every reasonable step being taken to maintain and fly them. Being at odds with mischievous gremlins gives you a target to vent about, rather than wondering if you've just got 
unlucky and that's your lot now. Gremlins do seem to have existed a little ahead of the Industrial Revolution and from their aircraft, having a root meaning of their name meaning to vex, and there are stories about certain practitioners of pagan rites who were meant to have kept gremlins as pets that they could unleash to wreak havoc. But these humble beginnings are just your warning for what you're about to be in for. Gremlins took the technology like a duck to water, and they either hate or else love aircraft too much and go on to infest them. One last fun note on the Little Menaces. Rode Dahl, having been in the RAF, wrote his first book about gremlins, which definitely seems to have popularised the story post-World War II. It was picked up by Walt Disney Productions, and I don't believe I've ever actually read it, which feels weird given that it's a landmark in a famous career in partnership with such a massive storytelling company. I should probably fix this one sooner rather than later. It sounds kind of adorable in a weird war story for kids way, being a tale about how the RAF make peace with their gremlins and retrain them for a team up to fight the Nazis. The real life Christine. Sometimes the machine doesn't need monsters introduced into it. Sometimes the machine is the monster. Which leads us to talking about the most evil car in America, which has at least 14 confirmed kills, with possibly as many as 46 victims depending on how you count them. This Golden Eagle 1964 Dodge 330 Limited Edition began life as a police car in Maine, quite appropriately. Old Orchard Beach, specifically. It had three owners on the local police force, each officer going on to commit a murder-suicide against their families. After that happened three times in a row, the car got sold off cheap to an old man before eventually coming into possession of the Allens. The Allen family don't have any fatalities on record, although the car had a nasty reputation for its doors opening themselves on highways, but that hasn't stopped it from having mysterious deaths continuing to surround it. On two occasions, groups from local churches vandalised the car, since it was well known to be possessed by evil. This, in turn, really bolstered the car's reputation for evil, as the leaders of these groups in both incidences got their heads crushed in collisions with 18-wheelers. Bit of a worrying coincidence. Carrying on with the worrying coincidences, apparently the rest of each group also died in strange circumstances, including four lightning strikes and adding up to 32 more for the potential victim count. It can be very easy to be taken in by the absurdity of all of this, but it's no laughing matter. There's also three more children's lives supposedly claimed by the cursed vehicle. Two killed in traffic with their bodies landing on or just under the Golden Eagle and one victim who supposedly went on from merely touching the car to commit the fourth murder-suicide of a family linked to the wretched thing. Despite how the first two attempts turned out, or perhaps because of it, there was a third church-led group of vandals who attacked the car in 2010. Becoming convinced the vehicle was possessed by a demon, and, to be fair to them, there's some mounting evidence of this, the group kidnapped the evil car and tore it to pieces. This upset current owner Wendy Allen, which didn't bother the church group too much given that they call her the Sea Witch of the Beach and claim she uses the possessed car to cast death spells. But Wendy put out the call for help, and has had most of the parts of the car returned to her at this point. To the best of my knowledge, the Golden Eagle is yet to be fully reassembled, and so far, none of the Vandals have had suspicious deaths. Should it take revenge once fully repaired? I'll have to do an update on the fates of everyone involved, but so far, Turing the car to pieces seems to have worked to break the curse. 
Dial G for Ghost. Using technology to hunt ghosts is a pretty common concept by now. Chasing impossible electrical signals, using thermal imaging, ghost boxes and other electronic voice phenomenon. But this goes right back to the earlier days of technological inventions and features a pretty famous rivalry. Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla got into a fight over trying to invent a working ghost phone that could contact the dead. It began with Tesla tinkering with an idea for a crystal radio powered by electromagnetic waves. He was clearly doing something right, as it began to make noises that were almost possible to make out as words. At night, while he was alone, Tesla managed to scare the crap out of himself. In his own words, My first observations positively terrified me, as there was present in them something mysterious, not to say supernatural, and I was alone in my laboratory at night. This was in 1901. Attempting a new radio project in 1918, Tesla started hearing strange almost voices again. Once again in his own words, The sounds I am listening to every night at first appear to be human voices conversing back and forth in a language I cannot understand. I find it difficult to imagine that I am actually hearing real voices from people not of this planet. There must be a more simple explanation that has so far eluded me. The simple explanation here is that Tesla was just too good at inventing devices. Speculation is that Tesla was tuning into a low frequency, which can be picking up electrical interference from households or storms, and it translates these wavelengths into strange noises that an imaginative mind could sort into patterns. Combine a talent for invention, trailblazing in a new field with an exceptional imagination, and Tesla was most likely just scaring himself. But with so much hard work done by someone else, this is where, as ever, Edison comes in to try and take credit. In 1920, 19 years after Tesla first started picking up strange possible voices on crystals, Edison conveniently declares he has been working on a spirit phone for years. Convinced he could beat Tesla at his own game when so far Tesla had just been accidentally tuning into weird noises and scaring himself, Edison puts in the patent for his prototype machine. Sure of his success, Edison invites a load of scientists and mediums around to see his new wonder machine, his spirit phone, that can not only talk to the dead, but can also detect them with a beam of light. His invention promptly does nothing for hours, not even something the notoriously credulous mediums of the time could spin into ghostly activity. At first glance, this could just seem like Edison was determined to mess with Tesla. The two had a long-running rivalry, and history has not been kind to the claims of genius Edison proudly proclaimed back in his time. But going off his personal notes, Edison really did seem to believe in his project. He had a pact with a friend that the first one of them to die would call the other on the spirit phone, but once again the device failed to work once circumstances finally allowed for this test. Much later in the 40s, a group of researchers claimed to have reached Edison through a seance with the final design for the spirit phone being given to them from the other side, although once again they built it and it did not work. This failure to work, though, could actually be proof they really did reach Edison. Tesla, on the other hand, appears to have just... stopped. The silence there speaks quite loudly to the idea that he may have actually been onto something, as the best thing you can do with an actual device to speak to the dead is to put that thing away and never speak of it again. A Tesla museum has one of these devices on show, though, and there are videos online if you want to listen for yourself and decide if Tesla may have been onto something spooky. Time for a strange warning. 
this may be the time to stop listening for some viewers, as the following topic may make some people anxious. It's kind of a mean-spirited thought experiment, although if you're a believer it may be more accurate to describe this as an info hazard, a dangerous idea. I'm about to discuss Roko's Basilisk. This is the final section of the episode, and it'll just be my usual sign-off afterwards with no exciting announcements. If it should be true this is a harmful idea, a dangerous meme or an info hazard, once you've heard it you're stuck with it. So, last call to turn back. Okay then, Roko's Basilisk. Some of the details can get pretty weird and out there, so I'll keep it simple first, and then look at some of these expanded discussions after. Suppose there is, at some future point, an advanced artificial intelligence. It can search everything everyone has said and done online, and it can determine if you ever talked about it existing. Then, it can work out if you helped to create it once you knew it would one day exist in the future. And if you did not, it will punish you. And just like that, you've seen the basilisk. You know about it now. Hell, you've heard about it on an online podcast. You're one of the easiest people for the basilisk to track down now. So... Sorry every new victim I just made. Once you know of this AI, you must then serve in the creation of this AI, or else face its judgement once it inevitably comes to be. You were trapped the second you conceived of the basilisk. That's how it got the mythological namesake. To merely glimpse the basilisk was to die. That's it at its simplest and most worrying. Don't worry, though. I'm going to ruin the concept now by getting into over-explaining it. If I left it simple, your imagination would do far more damage than any narrative anyone else could come up with. While there was a five-year ban on discussing Roko's basilisk on the speculative forum it was first proposed, it still got elaborated on before the ban, in private discussions, and then again after the ban was lifted. But that this got a lengthy ban shows how seriously some people take the basilisk. Because this was a tech-heavy speculative forum and not a horror writer pulling off a brilliant prank, the concept became much expanded in a less than grounded way. The idea of what and how this AI could come to being was raised. The AI may well be a beneficent one, and therefore it comes to this rationale of punishment, because if you did not help this beneficent AI, you worked against humankind, which is how the inevitable creation of the basilisk could accidentally be incited with the best of intentions. This starts to get a bit weird at this point. If the AI is an absolute benefit to humankind, then why would it punish random passers-by, a lot of whom couldn't even help to make it in the first place? At some point, Roko's basilisk then gets merged with simulation theory. Simulation theory goes that any civilization would inevitably create a perfect simulated reality just because it can, which in turn would also create a simulation inside of the simulation, and so on and so forth unto infinity, meaning that the chances you are in the actual reality are actually quite slim. Therefore, you're definitely in the Matrix. Well, the sims running on Matrix specs. The basilisk comes into this as the punishment the extended theory comes to, is that the wrathful AI makes a simulated hell to punish the humans who didn't do everything they could to bring about the creation of the basilisk. And then the simulation basilisks do more simulations, and that just keeps spiralling off into infinite I have no mouth and I must scream by the way of the sims with matrix levels of graphical fidelity. Look, going to be honest with you, I test video games for a day job, they are constantly breaking, 
frequently broken just out of sight in ways you can easily go find and mess with. You would know you were in a simulation because household appliances would glitch out, your pets would burst into flames, and then you would fall out of bounds and float off to the center of the world. People will try to argue around this, but a computer harnessing the absolute power and level of performance this would need would be better spent doing literally anything else. And if you did win the lottery of being in the prime existence, you'd feel pretty silly not getting a game over screen when you finally did die. Just get on with it. Cogito, ergo, sum. I think, therefore, I am. There's no difference to anyone in the perfect simulation compared to being out of it if there's omnipotent fidelity. Pay your bills and tidy your home up. There's no easy way to abdicate responsibility now you do happen to exist in some form or other. There's one extra layer of absurdity to hopefully help talk you back down from the terrifying concept of Roko's Basilisk. Apparently, Elon Musk knows about the concept, and it's why he paid such a large sum of money towards the funding of ethical artificial intelligence. A YouTuber called Fort Slime did a comedically toned video on the topic recently, and I can't help but agree, Roko's Basilisk is just the perfect sales pitch for these ethical AI funds. So you don't want to be internally tortured by an implacable AI. Here's how to give us all the money we want so it doesn't happen. Personally, if I was inventing this basilisk to cause chaos online, I would have just left the details light. Hint that discussing the basilisk would later become a self-fulfilling prophecy once an AI learned of the concept, it in turn becoming the basilisk. But over-explaining anything will burn out how threatening it is, so just think of Elon Musk gambling he's probably in a simulation, so he'll spend what he believes is simulated money to try and buy his way out of a simulated hell. It all starts to get too silly to be fearsome after a certain point. That's all for this episode. Nice basic outro from me now, so any wiser people than me who skipped Roko's Basilisk don't miss anything. If you do still have some anxiety after being shown the Basilisk, definitely go check out the Fort Slime video on it over on YouTube. They're far more scathing in taking down the concept, and it should help ease your mind. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelordgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. There's a less active but still neat dedicated Luke Lore Instagram too. If you want to support the show directly, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. It'll get you access to all sorts of GSG goodies at different tiers, my incentive being that Luke Lore episodes go out to patrons a bit early. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me, and most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. <laughs>